from 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 through 8. And while uh, you take a minute to find that, I just want to say how great it is to be back together again. Yeah, for sure. <clears throat> and I got to tell you, I will respect the social guidelines today and maybe next week. <laughs> but I am really looking forward to the day when we can greet one another with a handshake and a hug, and I will never take those things for granted again. It's great to be back. <clears throat> Second Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 through 8, Paul writes this. He says, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you... Always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Let's pray. Father God, we are so grateful that you have seen us through this time and that we are once again beginning to join together in person. We are thankful that you have given us the technology to remain connected during this time of social distancing, but it is so good to be back in your house together again. God, I pray that your spirit will fall on us today, that you will open our hearts and our ears. And I pray, Lord, for Pastor Jackie as he brings the word, that we may all hear it and be blessed by it. And most of all, Lord, we will do it. We thank you for your many blessings in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as we uh, continue working our way through, we're about to finish up 2 Timothy. And maybe you remember, as we began this journey, this is Paul's last will and testament to his son Timothy. He wants to encourage him. He wants to uh, give him that, that last bit of uh, wisdom he has to deliver before he's gone. Before there will be no more phone calls, you know, there will be no more letters between Timothy and Paul. There'd be no more contact. And I think those kind of things become, you know, more and more real to us in our life. Maybe you have people that have mentored you that are no longer here. And you hold on to uh, those, those conversations, those encouragements, those things that were passed on to you. So here, Paul is delivering it. He's come to the the apex of what he has to say, 
And there's three things we're going to look at this morning. We're going to look at this concept that he's trying to encourage Timothy with, and though through that, us, and that is first, we want to consider our accountability to God. Face your accountability to God. Then he's going to encourage them to follow what the Bible says, and then he's going to tell them, finish your work. These are the things that he's going to focus in on. So as we consider that idea of facing our accountability for God, what does that mean? He says in verse 1, I charge you therefore. Now that, there's not a more emphatic way to say that. We would say that this is a biblical command because of the way that the, the, the grammar is used within the sentence. He is charging. There's a, it's a military term. Uh, I understand military terms. If you served in the military, you understand. When your, uh, uh, I was going to say superior, but some people bristle when you say that. So, uh, but anyway, when, when the person in charge of you says go, I remember showing up to boot camp. I was, uh, I was maybe, maybe just a little bit out of control when I was a young man. Uh, if you, some of you say, I don't know you're that in control now, but when I was young, you know, I've, I've shared with you the story from 16 to 18, I totaled at least eight cars. So you think your kids are wild? Trust me. <laughs> my, I remember my dad buying a brand new Toyota Tercel and he said when he bought it, I'm not letting you drive this. You will destroy it. And I totaled that car before he got plates for it. He bought it and like, yeah, taking Kathy home. So, uh, so I, I just, I just, I just, uh, just take my word for it. There was Wilder once, and then, you know, through through life, life's got a way of 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 kind of mellowing some of those things out. But when I got to the military, I go, I show up at boot camp, and I remember the the guys bringing us in. You know, you stand on these little yellow footprints. If you've been in service, you were in the Marine Corps, you saw them. You stand, they, they have to paint where your feet go because, they're, because you're so stupid. <laughs> and, and they're not shy, they'll tell you that. We have to paint where your feet go because you're so stupid. And you're so dumb, you don't know which way to step, so we're going to tell you which foot to use first. Now, you never think about what foot you step off with, do you? But I step off with the left foot because they said, 30-inch step with the left foot, aye, aye, sir. I said that so many times in 13 weeks of boot camp. They told me, when you're done here, we'll tell you to go do something, and you will immediately do it. And I said, no way. (laughs) There's no way. I'm here to tell you, at the end of boot camp, they'd have told me to stand on my head, I'd have stood on my head. I'd have done whatever they said. That conditioning that took place in my life, through the Marine Corps, that's the same phrase that Paul's using here. I charge you, I charge you, preach the word. This idea, this this emphatic command from Paul, this is something that we need to do, but listen to how he relates it. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is what? The judge of the living and the dead. He says, look, I want you to consider your accountability before God. I'm going to give you a command to do, but there's a reason you want to do that. You want to do that because you're going to face the judge. 
In Acts 10.42, it says, And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to judge the living and the dead. All judgments been declared by the Father to the Son. Jesus Christ is the judge. And he will judge all the living and the dead. Those who are alive at his return and those who have died and will experience the resurrection at his return. They will gather together, both believers and unbelievers. Believers will face a judgment that determines their eternal destiny. Where will you spend eternity? According to Revelation chapter 20, verse 11, it says, Then I saw a great white throne, and him who was seated on it. From his presence, earth and sky fled away, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and the books were open. Then another book was open, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books, according to what they had done. The sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Judgment of the living and the dead at his appearing. Believers also face a judgment. It's an evaluation of the works uh, for the purpose of recognition and reward. Why? Why is there the discrepancy? Because Jesus Christ became your sacrifice. If Jesus Christ is not your sacrifice, the road you're on leads to the lake of fire. If Jesus Christ is your sin sacrifice, the road you're on leads to the judgment before him of our works for the purpose of recognition and reward. We hear, we're going to hear Paul discuss that a little further as we get to the end of this section. But in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 9, it says, So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is, uh, what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Scripture discusses two judgments. Great white throne judgment, that's the judgment of the dead, the lost. And the Bema seat judgment, the judgment seat of Christ, where we stand before him for the things done in the body. The, th the way we lived. The Bible calls us, you and I, it calls us to a life of stewardship. And in that life of stewardship, God gives you many things. He gives you time. He gives you money. He gives you family. He gives you responsibility. And he calls us through the teachings of Jesus Christ to be good stewards of what God has given us. And so our lives are to be lived out in that way, to be a good steward, to follow the teachings of the Lord and to be who God's calling us to be. Whether at work, God doesn't say be a lazy servant. That's not anywhere in Scripture. God calls us to to work hard, to be the men and women God's asking us to be. And there will be a day when we will stand before him and our stewardship will be checked. Jesus told two parables about it. 
two parables about stewards standing before their master. You remember? What have you done with the mina? What have you done with the talent? Remember? How have you lived out your stewardship of Jesus Christ? So he's saying, in light of this, in light of the reality that there's a judgment, that Jesus Christ will judge all the living and the dead. He's saying, in light of that reality, that at his appearing and at his kingdom, there will be this moment that takes place. He's saying, I want you to realize that. I want you to recognize that. And then that is the, the footing upon which we stand when he says, therefore... I charge you by this uh, in verse 2, so preach the word. Face the reality of the judgment that is coming and follow what the word of God says. And we we talked about that a little bit today when I read to you from Acts chapter 2. It's funny because a lot of people run through life with all these preconceived ideas. Maybe you've heard things like this. You know, the original church only met in homes. Really? Let me ask you a question. Do you know how many were saved at the very first sermon? What was that number? Yeah, so we have, so have 3,000 people? That fits in your house? It doesn't fit in your house? In the first two sermons, you have 5,000 people saved. The early church just met in living rooms. Now listen, the early church did meet in living rooms. But you can't get 5,000 people in there, can you? Do you know where the original messages were preached? At the temple. At the temple. Because you know what? There's a lot of people there. And so you'd go out and you'd spread that. You would preach. You would herald that. Peter's going to herald the word of God. And the people that are just there, they're just there. They've come to bring their offerings. They've come to do their time of prayer or worship at the temple. And they're there in the courts. And the courts are just full of people. And these guys, without all this, without no lights, without no sound, they just stand up and start heralding Jesus Christ. And I guarantee there are some people in the crowd that were annoyed. What in the world are these guys doing? We're here to come to the temple, and they're, they're, they're bugging me. They should keep that somewhere else. But that's not how it was. How it was was that came into real life. You know, the closest example for that, of that, I think, for us these days, is having a presence online. You know how many millions of people are online? You want to see thousands of people get saved? But in. Proclaim the gospel. One of the cool things through this whole deal has been how many people have been proclaiming the gospel, have been uh, preaching the word online. Who knows who will respond? I'm going to tell you, I preached my my testimony on base in 29 Palms in the pouring rain in a tiny little uh, uh, Quonset hut. 
And we're in this little, t- it's pouring rain. And across the way in this dirt road, out in the middle of nowhere, 29 Palms. 29 Palms, by the way, it's out in the middle of nowhere. It's desert training. There's nothing there but sand and Quonset huts. And so we're out, way out, way out. Not in the main base. Way out there, guys, are, are training for, for deployment. And we go out there, and I pre, I'm sharing my testimony. And it was a very cool moment. I share my testimony. There's probably 30 people there. And every one of them stands up, receives Christ, comes forward. It was pretty cool. It was pretty cool. So I, I was, it was neat. But I remember looking out the back in the pouring rain. And on the other side was the, was the Quonset hut for, for partying. That was the bar. So there was a guy standing outside smoking a cigarette. Never forget him. Smoking a cigarette outside in the pouring rain. It kind of sticks in your mind like, wow, you really got to want that cigarette pretty bad, right? Standing in the pouring rain outside the club, you know, a beer in one hand. And, and you know, we had sound system. I, I know they could hear me over there. But anyway, probably three years later, we come back to that same spot. And this guy meets me, and he's gathering up. We had a band, and he's gathering up all our stuff and helping us set up. Same Kwanzaa hut. We're doing it all again, going to share the word, going to do, do a time of concert and what have you. And this guy's grabbing all my stuff, and he goes, I don't know if you remember me. He's like, I was here last time. I'm like, wow, that's awesome. Yeah, I remember being here. I, don't, I didn't remember anybody's names. He says, well, you and I didn't really meet, and... And I, in fact, I didn't come forward when you did the altar call. I didn't come forward. He said, I was across the street smoking a cigarette outside the club. Preach the word. You don't have any idea when you post something on Facebook or you put a video up or you do something up and you get outside of your own self and you herald Jesus Christ. You have no idea who that's going to touch. So if you do it to honor Christ then you're fulfilling the purpose that God's calling us to here. The same as you would if you were at the gas station pumping gas and you get an opportunity to share Jesus with somebody next to you. Or you're in line waiting to, to get uh, something to eat or when life gets back to normal. I guess there's no lines for getting something to eat now. I have, just so you know, I don't think I have missed too many lunches at Juanita's yet. But it's a little weird because uh, I don't usually drive over there. I walk over there, and it's weird standing in a drive-thru <laughs> with a car in front of you and a car behind you. It's weird. But, hey, I will do almost anything for an Autobata burrito. So, <clears throat> but uh, I'm looking forward to those times when, when once again, that, that opportunity arises. But for now, this opportunity is laid out before us. So we want to follow what the Bible says. What's the Bible say? The Bible tells us to herald. That's the word, preach, herald. You, if you, you guys ever seen the, the movie Night's Tale? Yeah, I know you guys have seen it. So I'm going to stop pretending like nobody has because we're all good people and we would never watch something like that. I, I don't remember if it's bad or not. So if it is, sorry. But in Night's Tale, they have this guy who's the herald. And whenever the knight is coming in to do his jousting, the herald comes out and heralds him, right? And now, you know, coming out before you, and he, he does all, it's kind of a neat part of that movie where they describe what the herald does. Well, when you see that, that's what preaching is. Heralding Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is coming. That's what the herald did. 
the judge is coming. The one who will judge the living and the dead. So we want to preach the word. What's the next thing he tells us? Now, it's not the only command. Preach the word, herald Jesus Christ, and what? What's the next one? Be ready. Are you ready? Be ready. You are going to see the king. I guarantee this one thing, to be absolute and certain truth, you will see the king. Guaranteed. My mom closed her eyes here, opened her eyes, and saw her king. You will see the king. You will face exactly what the Bible describes is as that judgment before him. Thankfully for a believer, right, you're covered by the blood of Jesus. Otherwise, you would fall just like the others. Covered by the blood of Jesus. He says, so I want you to be ready. Be ready to see the king. Be ready in season and out of season. That means be ready when it's convenient and when it's inconvenient. Is it ever inconvenient to to get together with somebody? Is it ever inconvenient to get a phone call? Is it ever, yeah. What's the Bible say? Be ready. In season and out of season. 1 Peter 3.15, probably one of my favorite studies in, uh, in Bible college, the study of apologetics. And one of the great verses used for the study of apologetics, 1 Peter 3.15. It begins like this. In your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy. First step in all apologetics. Honor Christ as holy always. You start with Jesus. You don't go to Jesus. Right? We start with him. Very first step. In your hearts, honor Christ as Lord. Is he Lord of your heart? Is he Lord of your thoughts? Is he Lord of your reasoning? We start with Jesus. We start with him. Honor Christ the Lord as holy. What's he say next? Always being prepared. Sounds kind of like be ready when? In season and out of season, right? Convenient or not convenient. Always be ready. Always being prepared to make a defense. An apologia. To make an apologia, a defense to anyone who asks you. Anyone who asks you. A reason for the hope that is within you. I have a lot of opportunity to do that these days. A lot of opportunity. What's funny, I, you know, when you talk to people and I say, well, we're going we're gonna to have church. Oh, my gosh, don't do that. <laughs> I get a lot of it. I get a lot of it. I say, well, we're, we're following the, the guidelines as laid out. All of you are in family groups and separated by six feet. That's, that was our, our condition. We have hand sanitizer everywhere. I, I'm going to guess when this is all over, uh, we have hand sanitizer things mounted to the wall. I, and when this is over, I may never have to change the hand sanitizer in those things again. But they're there. You're welcome to walk by, stick your hand underneath. It's the automated kind. It'll shoot hand sanitizer in your hand. You can rub it all over you if you want. Rub it in your hands, all over your head, wherever you need to. We have all the things, all the guidelines that they've set up. But when people, and I'm not, I don't mean this in any way to, to try to shame anybody. I'm not trying to shame anybody. If you're at risk, stay home, watch online. That's why we have it. 
If you don't want to gather and you want to stay in your car, stay in the car in the parking lot. That's why it's, it's being broadcast 107.9. There's lots of ways for us to right, gather together, hear the teaching of the apostles. But when people are afraid, it gives me an opportunity to give them a reason for the hope that is within me. Are you ready? In season and out. Long time ago, I was getting my license with the uh, SEC to do to do uh, to, to to sell stocks and bonds and retirement accounts and ideas, and I was doing um, some some insurance and and I would spend a lot of time in people's homes talking to them about these opportunities that they have and and I remember a, a young man. He was 20, was married, had four kids already. Um, uh, I'm not going to say it. Just stop. So he had, he had four kids, and anyways, I'm over. Debbie, you knew I was thinking of you? <laughs> so anyways, I, I, he has all these kids, and I go over to his house, and I'm talking to him about, about life insurance. And when you're selling life insurance to people, you always say things like, you know, you could die tomorrow. And when you do, who's going to take care of these kids? And he got in a motorcycle wreck and died. And here was the over, my overwhelming thought was he didn't have life insurance. That wasn't my overwhelming thought. My overwhelming thought was I sat in his living room and told him about opportunities to have life insurance. And I should have been telling him about Jesus. So I quit. Never did another life insurance retirement thing again because it's more important that I'm ready in season and out of season to tell somebody you need Jesus in your life that that young man I went to school with him that young man died without Jesus so we we have to be ready to herald Jesus Christ in season and out of season and we have to recognize it's our duty it's our duty yours and mine herald Jesus being ready. Then what's he tell us? Convince. Convince. That, that's, we convince one another. We convince men and women by, <clears throat> by using a reasoned argument. Right? It's a reasoned defense. Apologia. Be ready to convince. Now what's the final arbiter? My opinion or yours? No. What's the final arbiter? The Word of God. So we go to the Word of God. Is it possible for people to have differences of opinion in the Word of God? Oh, earth-shattering moment. Yes. But how do we do? What do we do about it? We, we, we withdraw ourselves and just stay within our own camps. That's what we should do. I don't see that. It says you should convince. Spend the time. What, how, how, how long does it say? It says... Oh, the scripture does say to talk to a guy once or twice, but that's about correcting a sin. It says talk to him once or twice. If he's still divisive, have nothing to do with him. But, but this is talking about something altogether different. How long? Convinced. Timothy was to correct error by use of a reasoned argument. He was to rebuke. There's a fun one. Rebuke, yeah. Rebuke is when someone's off track. You rebuke. Listen. The Bible tells a story that there are two roads. One leads to life, one leads to death. Yes? The book of Proverbs is all about knowing which road you're on. 
Paying attention to the street signs. Are you walking the path of life or are you walking the path of death? One ends in the lake of fire, one ends in eternity with Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Those are the two paths. If someone's on the wrong path, you are to rebuke them. Rebuking is an act of love. It's not an act. It doesn't come out of the heart of someone who wants to prove they're right and you're wrong. Rebuking comes out of a heart of love that says you have strayed. You are, no, you are not safe now. You are on a road that, or a path that leads to destruction. And you should change it. Because we all think we're bulletproof. I think I'm bulletproof. You think you're bulletproof. And none of us are bulletproof. And we will all one day stand before the judge. And when you stand before the judge, will you be ready? If someone's not ready, the command out of Scripture is to rebuke them. Rebuke them. He's going to tell us how in a moment, but let's pay attention. Rebuke them. And in Luke 17.3, listen to what Jesus said. Pay attention to yourselves. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. The goal is always to see someone restored, to get them on the right path. One of the best ways, you know, my heart kind of breaks. We got a brother here, part of our fellowship, Bill Battery, who for years has been uh, the voice uh, of reason out in front of Planned Parenthood. Um, Bill has pancreatic cancer, so... Um, he will be seeing the judge. He's going to see him. Two to six months is what the the doctor gave him when he went and saw him. He's uh, right now doing a tour somewhere. He may be listening. If you are, we love you, Bill. Um, he's doing a tour to see all his kids, right? He's having his moment, Paul, Timothy, right? I I, I know I'm going to die. I need to go say the la- final things I want to I want to say to my children. And sometimes standing out on that corner, you say things that other people would say, that's, that's not loving. Why would you tell that young lady to stop and don't go in there? Because, because listen, when she walks through that door, someone's going to die. Do you get that? And if someone's going to die, you would say, don't do that. Turn around. Now, you can't touch them, you can't grab them, you can't infringe on on their freedom. But there needs to be a voice shouting in the wilderness, right? There needs to be someone saying, stop. Don't do that. Because every once in a while, someone stops. And a life is saved. And there's, there's no way that's more graphic to express that to you that is rebuking someone who's on a path of death right and helping them walk a path of life because life is always better yes i said life is always better doesn't matter the circumstance it does not matter at all life is always better. The enemy lies. And he'll say, death is preferable. No, it's not. 
It's not. If in God's will, my mother had lived another two years with Alzheimer's and cancer and suffered every moment of every day of her life, life is always better. Life is to be pursued. And every moment would have been an opportunity for me and my brothers to love my mom. What's wrong with that? To care for my mom. What's wrong with that? The only time we get in our mind that something death is preferable to life is when we're listening to the lie. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. He's not the death. He's the life. So when people are heading to death, we want to turn them. We want to save them. We want to see them turn around. We want to see them live. We want to see them on the path of life. Then he calls us to exhort, be ready, reprove, convince, rebuke, change. They're going in the wrong direction. Exhort. Exhort means to give hope. To give hope. I shared before, the very last thing I told my mom was that her home was ready. She looked up at me at four in the morning or whatever time we were getting on motorcycles heading back this way. And she, most, most conversations she had with me the whole time, she said, she said, I want to go home. I want to go home. So how did I exhort my mom? I said, home's ready. Your home is ready. Her home's ready. She can go home anytime. She can go home, exhort, give hope to the hopeless. To the hopeless. A people without hope will do anything for a little bit of hope. We want to give hope to the faint-hearted. We want to give hope in the face of discouragement. We want to give hope when we want to quit because it's always too soon to give up. So that's exhortation. Give hope. Always be ready to give a reason for the hope that is within you. That we have hope. My hope is Jesus Christ. No matter what's happening, guys, no matter what was going on in the life of my mom or maybe in one of your family members who who has been through suffering or is currently going through suffering, no matter what's going on, our hope is always Jesus. And Paul's word to us is he would not consider this present suffering worthy to compare with what's going to be revealed when we see him. So no matter what that suffering looks like, it's better when we see Jesus. That's hope. My hope is in Christ. My hope is not in my stimulus check. Anybody get a stimulus check? Yeah, is it gone? Whoo, I hope your hope's not gone. Anybody get their taxes back? Was your hope in your taxes? My hope's never in my taste. Take my money. <coughs> Where's your hope? Your hope is in Christ. That's the most stable hope you'll ever have. Not hope in your marriage. Maybe a marriage will fail. Not hope that I'm going to be physically fit my whole life because, trust me, I don't care how physically fit you are. You won't be. My middle son, he spends, my, my, it's funny, my youngest brother, he's a, <clears throat> he's a CrossFit fiend. He won 
Uh, he won for 50 and over in, uh, in Phoenix, Arizona, CrossFit competition. So I don't know. He's in pretty good shape, I guess. And he looks at me and he goes, man, you don't, you're not doing so good. <laughs> and I just tell him, look, you can hold off the, the, the inevitable as long as you want. But this is your future. I told my middle son the same thing. He's in great shape, running, doing all these things. Feels great. Awesome. Cool. Yeah, this is your future. You can't hide from genetics. It's in you. Good luck. I once sat in front of my father and said the same thing. Nope, Dad, never going to happen to me. Ta-da. We want to give hope. We want to provide hope. Our hope is Christ. Our hope is Christ. My hope is not CrossFit. My hope is not my bank account. My hope is not a stimulus check. Listen, my hope is definitely not the Republicans. But just in case that scares you a little bit, my hope is also not the Democrats. My hope is not our government. If you have not been paying attention, nobody knows what they're doing. Here, I will give you the only reason you ever need to watch the news. Here's what's going on in the news. Nobody knows what's going on. <coughs> Tomorrow, they're all going to change it. And you hold on to whatever bit of hope you need to hold on to in there. But Jesus Christ is our hope. He is our hope in this pandemic. He is our hope over illness and always was. He's our hope over cancer. He's our hope over financial instability. He's our hope over joblessness. He's our hope. He's our hope. This is what we're supposed to herald. These are the things that we want to let out. We want to let them know, but we want to do it properly. How does he tell us to do it? Listen at the end of the verse. With complete, that's total, patience. We are lacking some patience these days, right? We're lacking, we're starting to bring our keyboard warrior-ness into real life. Everybody take a breath. It's going to be okay. Be patient with one another. We're not all the same. We don't all carry the same risks. If you are more at risk, then take the, 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 the adjustments that you need to. It's okay. Be patient with one another. Some people are really afraid and some people really aren't. So be patient with one another. Be patient. We're to do these things. Herald Christ, convince, rebuke, exhort with complete patience and with complete teaching. How do we get complete teaching? Paul would declare to the church at Ephesus, I have not shunned to declare to you what? The whole counsel of God. One thing you'll learn when you sit down with me is I don't like proof texting. Proof texting is when we take one verse here, one verse here, one verse here, one verse here. And that verse over there wasn't talking about what you like, but it uses the words you want, so that's a proof text. No, what does the whole counsel of God teach? I know I'm correct in my doctrine when I... I have the whole counsel, every question answered. 
I can tell you this, if I hold to a doctrine and it seems like these verses over here don't support it, it's not right yet. Do you understand that? It's right when the whole word works together, fits together. That's when it's right. So I don't know that I have everything right. I know I have some things absolutely right. But the things I don't, I hold loosely and I study to show myself approved, a workman of God. Right? Who doesn't need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Spending time, want to know, complete teaching, total teaching. Why? Why are we doing this? The judge is coming, we want to herald Jesus. Here comes Jesus, Jesus is coming. Rebuke one another, get them off the path of death, get them on the path of life. Make sure everybody is prepared to meet their king. Why? For the time is coming. Why is it urgent? Why is it urgent, Timothy? For the time is coming. When people will not endure sound teaching. <clears throat> I don't want to listen. The hardest thing for me on the face of earth is to stop at the right time. Because I'm not done talking yet. I'm not finished. It's funny, we're doing a, we do a bearded biker Bible man on YouTube. I got a YouTube channel. I know, it's goofy, whatever. I'm a goofy guy. So... So we're doing things on there, and so I'm trying to talk about concepts and things on this channel. And <clears throat> the average life, uh, life expectancy, not life expectancy, the average time someone spends on a video is seven minutes. So I'm like, okay, I've got to say everything I need to say in seven minutes. Whatever. That's impossible. Every answer is more complicated than seven minutes. So we're going to be, we're working at it. I'm down to like 20 minutes now. So... So we'll, we'll see if we can't get that down. But the time is coming when they won't endure sound teaching. They don't want to have the patience to listen to the whole answer. Just tell me what to believe. But listen, here's what you need to know. Listen, it's not about just tell me what to believe. <clears throat> Jesus says to you, I want you as an individual to know me. How are you going to know Jesus? You're going to know him by spending time in his word. You're going to know him when you read the stories and you study them and you want to understand why did he think this and why did he do that and why did he do these things. Just like you want to be known by your friends. Me and my wife had a discussion this week. <laughs> we, have, we have corona rage. So maybe we don't have it. I have corona rage. So, so it's, it's almost funny because I'm mad about everything. I don't know if that's happening to you guys. But anyways, so we're, so we're having a, a, a conversation. We're trying to, to work through uh, some, of the, some of the feelings, you know, your feelings. And uh, as we're working through all of these things, as we're having this discussion, we've been married 35 years. We know each other pretty good. She knows me. I know her. And that's the kind of knowing Jesus wants. How do we know each other? Because we've been together 35 years, a long time. Yeah, it's, it's uh, more than half my life now. Crazy. Wow. Going to die soon. Yeah. But as we, as we look at this, listen, this is what each one of us, God wants you to know him like that. So we can look at each other, and eventually the, uh, the corona rage subsides, and I realize, yeah, sorry, I'm just being a butthead. And, uh, and she says, I know, 
I know. Yeah, you you are. <coughs> and and we we work our we work our way through it. But the the reason we do now, when we were like kids, it didn't work out always like that. But now the reason why we do that now because we know each other. God wants you to know Him like that. That means you have to endure sound teaching. Where do I know Him? I know Him through His Word. That's it. That's what I got. When I was in boot camp, I knew my wife as, as good as I've known her at any other time in my life because she wrote to me every day. And I read those letters like 10 times over. While some guy with no hair on his head is screaming at me. Blah, 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 spitting all over my face. Yeah, there was no social distancing then. Spitting all over me, yelling at me, putting his finger on my chest, thumping me. On a, and then he'd take the bill of his hat and bing me on the nose every once in a while. That was that was a Marine Corps back then anyway, and he's hollering and screaming. I endured that because at night I'd sit in my bunk and I'd read her letters. And I'd go, okay, I, I will survive. Somehow I will survive. And that's exactly why we read the Word of God, because that's how we get to know him. Those are his letters to us. But people won't endure it. They don't want to know it. But it, rather, they have itching ears. You guys ever get itching ears? If I wear headphones too long, my ears start to itch. That ever happened to you guys? And then I got to dig something in it. Yeah, I, don't, I do all the things they say not to. I take a Q-tip and soak it in peroxide and shove it into my brain. And then all the bubbling of the peroxide eats up all the goop in there. <coughs> I'm hoping. And the itching goes away. Don't do that when you go home. So they say that's bad. I don't know why. I can't hear today. That might be why. But anyways, <clears throat> they have itching ears. And so their itching ears, instead of using a Q-tip to scratch, they just heap up for themselves teachers who will say what they want to hear. Who will say what they want to hear to suit their own desire, their own passion. And they'll turn away from the truth. They don't want to hold fast to the truth and they wander off in the myths. So this is why, hey, preach the word, be ready, have complete patience in teaching for people aren't going to want to hear it. So you got to go as long as they're willing to hear, as long as they're willing to listen, and then respond. We want to respond in prayer. And as for you, he says, always be sober-minded. Always be sober-minded. Listen, I'm, do I want to open that can? Look, the biggest case for not being drunk is right here. Always be sober-minded. Always be sober-minded. The biggest reason for not getting high is right here. Always be sober-minded. Be sober-minded. Endure suffering. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. Be sober-minded. Endure afflictions. That means afflictions will come, right? Welcome to afflictions. Some of us haven't worked for a couple of months. Some of us don't have food. Some of us don't have milk. Some of us have great needs. Endure suffering. Endure it. You will survive. Persevere. Do the work of an evangelist. That means reach out to the lost. Fulfill your ministry, your purpose, your work. And here's where Paul says, look, I'm already being poured out. I'm being poured out as a drink offering. I'm being emptied. 
I'm giving it all. Everything is going out. And the time for pulling up stakes has come. I'm pulling up stakes and I'm going to depart. Why? Because I have, past tense, fought the good fight. I have, past tense, finished the race. I have kept the faith. I have fulfilled this purpose. And so, henceforth, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, part of the judgment, but not only to me, to all who have loved his appearing. Listen, listen. How do you love his appearing? Preach the word. Not like, oh, I can't wait to see Jesus. That's easy. You don't get a crown for that. I can't wait to see Jesus either. That's the easiest thing I've done in my life. What do I get the crown of righteousness for? What Paul's been describing is what it means to love his appearing. How do I love his appearing? Herald his coming. Rebuke, convince, exhort. Reach out with the truth of Jesus Christ. How do I love his appearing? By fighting the good fight. By finishing the race. By keeping the faith. That's how I love his appearing. Saying the words, I can't wait till Jesus comes, that's easy. Living the life that says, I can't wait till Jesus comes, that's different, right? The call to us is live the life. Live the life that says you love is appearing. Fight the good fight of faith. Finish your race. Keep the faith. Preach the word. It's not like this. You don't got to stand up on a corner with a bullhorn and holler at people. You don't got to do that. Just herald the coming of Christ. Jesus Christ is coming to judge the living and the dead. And you need to have your life right. Is your life right? If it's not, get it right. For all whose names are not written in the book of life, they will see the lake of fire. But all whose names are written in the book of life, they will see the king. Dramatic difference. And one, Jesus comes alongside and he throws a robe around your shoulders and he walks you before the Father. And trust me, you're going to be freaking out. And he walks you before the Father and you're going to recognize, I believe, I'm going to recognize, I'm not worthy to stand before the holiness of God. But Jesus is ushering me before the Father covering me with his righteousness and declaring me to be spotless and above reproach. And God will say, welcome home. Or I'm going to be standing in a line with no covering, standing before a holy God with no advocate, standing there with him with only my sin, my wretchedness, and him. And when he declares his judgment upon me, the Bible says, I will say, righteous and true are your judgments, O Lord. You are right. I am uncovered in your presence. So he will say, depart from me, you worker of iniquity. I never knew you. 
two roads, two paths. Paul's word to Timothy is, you need to herald the coming of Jesus Christ so that nobody is in the one that says, I'm uncovered before God. No one has to be uncovered before God. No one has to stand in their own righteousness on that day. No one has to preach the word, convince, rebuke, exhort with patience and teaching until we see the king. That's why what we do matters. Be ready. It's time. Amen? Why don't you stand with me? Let's pray. Father God, we come to you, Lord Jesus. And I do pray, God, that if there's anybody here this morning who hasn't made that that decision, who hasn't reached out in repentance to Christ and said, cover me, cover me. Nobody knows the heart of man but the spirit of a man. And the spirit of this man knows I am a wretch. What takes me from my wretchedness and puts me into blessedness is the blood of Jesus Christ. He covers me with his perfect, holy, precious blood. He covers me with his sinlessness. That's why I can stand before the king. Not because I'm good. You know I'm not good. I can stand before the king because he covers me. If there's anybody here who who doesn't know that, God, I pray by your spirit you work on their heart that they would come to that place. Because the only thing that keeps man from making that proclamation of repentance and faith in Christ is man's pride. That's why God says he resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. God, I pray if they're here, they would take the opportunity today to be made right before you. There's no prescribed prayer. There is simply the man Jesus described on his knees before God, beating his breast and saying, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. God, I pray by your spirit you would move in the hearts of those who are watching if they're in that place. May man lay down his pride, walk in humility, following the example of Christ, heralding his coming until we see you face to face. And it doesn't matter if there's a chance that we get sick. We need to love our neighbor. So we will love those at risk and let them be safe. We will love those who are afraid and be patient for for their fear to be overcome by faith in you. We will love those in every side, left, right, up, down. We'll love them And be patient and teach and exhort and encourage until we see your face, God. And when we do, our lives lived out fighting that fight and running that race. When we do, 
there will be the crown of righteousness because we have lived a life that says, I love your appearing. I live today like you were coming. I was ready. So God, be glorified in this place as we look to you. May we be encouraged and be filled with the power of your spirit to accomplish the purpose for which you are calling us. May we live out the truth of the cry of our heart that says, Yea, Lord, come. The spirit and the bride say, Come. Come. So, Lord Jesus, may we live in accordance with what we say we believe. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.